I just thought like, oh great, yeah, I'll just sketch out this website, we'll build it. I didn't think it was gonna be that hard. <laughs> <laughs> Within like a couple weeks, I was making six figures. Their creators literally doing over a million dollars a month on the platform now. That's beautiful. Just in its latest financing round, Patreon has a $4 billion valuation. That is a new era for humans. So Jack, first question, how dare you? How dare I? I'm just kidding. Who do you think you are? <laughs> what did I walk into? <laughs> Man, it is so great to have you here. I remember the first time seeing one of your videos and I watched it five times and it was the idea for Casey Neistat because I'd never seen <laughs> yeah. a video edited like that in my life. And I was like, who is this guy? Like, <laughs> like the scoring on this yeah. is unbelievable. Where did this guy come from? But it was so complex to find out that you were not only a creator, but also the CEO of a company. And I think that mix is, I think, actually what the modern version of a creator is, right? Yeah. It's like an mm -hmm. internet entrepreneur. But I'm just, I'm just so excited to have you here. And there's been really big news about Patreon this year. Um, I remember reading the news about how you guys raised $155 million and valued at $4 billion. How does this all feel for you right now? Um, crazy <laughs> and wild and awesome and all the things, but I think mostly it's just, it feels awesome to see other people believing in this thing that so many of us have been believing in for so long. Mm. You guys have been believing in so long and seeing and calling attention to. And I feel like I've been hey, there's a real thing over here. Mm -hmm. Everybody look at this. Um, and to see public markets investors and and uh, the industry kind of wake up to what's happening has been really fun over the last year, especially. That's been like a really wonderful thing. I think it's going to be awesome for, for creators. How has the Patreon pitch changed from 2013 to raising this most recent round? Like how do you pitch Patreon today and how receptive are people to that? And how... Was it pitching Patreon in 2013 and how did people receive it at that time? In 2013, there were three companies that would pay you as a creator, <laughs> probably. There was Kickstarter. There was a company called Stage It that my wife and I were using with Pomplamoose. We would do streams for 45 minutes. It was ticketed live streams and people could also tip on top of the live streams. This was in 2011. This is pre-Facebook Live, pre-YouTube you know YouTube Live, pre-any of those platforms. But that was pretty much it. There were like two companies that would send you a check as a creator. And so, you know, Pomplamoose was doing all kinds of weird gymnastics online to like turn it into a business and to make money from it. And so the pitch in 2013 was very much like, look, I don't want to launch a big project and do a crowdfunding thing. I don't want to do a crowdfunding thing. I just want to get paid a salary for making videos, which is what my audience loves and what I'm good at. I don't want to go make a movie. I want to keep making YouTube videos. And so let's build a, a membership system that makes it easy for me to keep making videos and for my audience to pay me for, you know, exclusive content, exclusive community, extra stuff, bonus episodes, et cetera. Very simple problem, just helping creators do what they're already doing, but to make a living from it. Um, like basically getting paid. And I guess what's different, you know, eight years in is now there's all these companies doing membership. YouTube's doing membership. Spotify's doing membership. Twitter announced super follows. Facebook's got fan subscriptions. Um, and so we're thinking about, you know, what are those next 10 years and what is the value that we can provide to creators? You know, that's even bigger than that. And yeah, that's been, that's been kind of a fun journey for us to like think about that and think about how to continue to serve creators in a way that, you know, it, it is more than just getting paid, but is actually helping them run and scale and grow their businesses. 
What do you think makes Patreon different from the other platforms? Because we were, we were at VidSummit last week and I can't tell you how many people came up to us trying to pitch membership platforms. It was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's like every other person, hey, check out this membership platform. It's the right one for you. There are so many. What is it about Patreon that you believe today it still is a great option potentially, like you know, the option that you are still going out and telling people about? I actually think it's like something really simple, <laughs> um, but but important. I think it's the culture of the company. I think it's the creator first nature of the company. Like we exist for creators. We are by creators. We are creator first. We're not trying to serve advertisers. We're not trying to serve brands. We don't have 50 different types of small businesses and people that we're not trying to get 2 billion people on Patreon. We are focused on building for creators. We are creator first. It's in our hearts. It's in our blood. We, that's it. <laughs> um, and it kind of manifests in everything that we do. It manifests in our code and our products on our, you know, content policy and our support tickets and our team and who we hire. And I, I know that probably sounds vague, but it really is just the culture of the company. Like we are, I know I'm a bit biased, but I think we're the most creator first creator centric company on the planet. And I think that that shows up kind of in a million different ways when people are looking at all the different membership platforms that are out there. How many creators are making money on Patreon right now? There are over a quarter million creators that are earning like money every month. Wow. And do you know how many of those creators are making, you know, a, a salary or, or are fully supported? Yeah. So the way we think about it is, well, okay, I'll, I'll give you a stat. About 50% of our payments volume, so 15% of of processed payments goes to creators who are making between one and $10,000 a month. So that's 12 to $120,000 a year, which to us is a really exciting stat because that's like, if you didn't believe that the creative middle class is possible and everybody's sort of mm -hmm. using different words to describe what that is, but basically you don't have to be Taylor Swift to make a living as a creator anymore. Um, you know, if, if there's a stat that, shows that that is real. And now it's, it's that, you know, there's, there's this whole group of people that are building media companies, leasing office space, hiring teams, making stuff that they love as their own boss and getting paid for it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of people now. So why don't we go back now to kind of the early days, Jack Conti before CEO of Patreon. How do you, how do you come up with this idea? Like as a creator, why do you jump from being an artist to, to deciding that you want to take on this challenge? It wasn't really a decision. <laughs> um, it was not strategic and yeah. it was not planned. It, it was just one of those things. Um, I could ask you guys the same question. Like, so when did you decide to be CEOs of your own media company? It's like, well, that's not quite <laughs> what the decision was. Right. The same was true for me. I mean, Pompalous was putting out videos and reaching millions of people on a regular basis and making a few hundred dollars in ad revenue. And like, I remember in 2010, we did, we did a book drive for, for uh, the Richmond School District. And we posted, a, um, we posted one YouTube video. And we said, to, we said to folks, hey, if you donate a book, to this school district, we'll send you our album for free. Like it was a really simple deal. Just donate a book, we'll send you our record. And the school district ended up having to rent a shipping container to keep up with the, like a, like a train car. Um, it was like 11,000 books that got sent to the school. It's like $140,000 worth of books. 
and something about, it felt really good. I felt excited. I felt proud that I was doing something that was impactful and helping people. But also I felt like, what's, what's wrong with this? Like why there's so much energy and passion and enthusiasm and I'm making 150 bucks a month in ad revenue. Like what is wrong? Um, and that was YouTube ad revenue. That was, that was YouTube ad revenue. Got it. Um, and you were doing in the millions of views, millions of views. Got it. So anyway, that, that was kind of what was happening at that time. And then at one point my wife went off, signed a record deal for her solo project, went off to tour the world, left me home alone by myself. I won't go into the details, but I started working on this giant music video. I kind of went down the rabbit hole as sometimes we do. Um, and I ended up spending three months on this video, drained my savings account, spent 10 grand, maxed out two credit cards, just went nuts. I ended up building a replica of a Money Falcon cockpit, like in my studio, <laughs> involved these two robots. One was like a 3D printed hexapod robot. The other was this animatronic head that was singing the lyrics of the song. I mean, I went nuts on this video. I poured myself into it. I was working 19 hour days, like just gunning it. And um, yeah, at the end of this process, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to post this video. It's going to get a million views. My fans are going to go nuts because I've never made anything this insane before, you know, and I'm going to get paid like $200 for three months of my life. And after draining my savings account, and it was then it was that moment at the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, that I felt like I've, I've I don't want to just complain about this. Like I, I want to do something about this. And so I sat down at my kitchen table and I sketched out this idea for a membership platform on 14 pieces of printer paper called up my freshman year roommate in college, got super excited about it, started building it. And uh, yeah, then I launched as the first creator on Patreon. <laughs> Were there any options that came to mind outside of starting your own tech platform? Like, let me try and sell some merchandise. Like, were you doing other things before you came to that decision? I had been doing a lot of that. I had been selling merch. I had been, but I was like, what year is it? Like, why am I putting my logo on a hat mm. and selling it to my fit? Like, that's not what makes me valuable as a person. What makes me valuable mm -hmm. is my creative output, my work. Like, why do, why do I have to kind of play all these games to get paid for what makes me valuable in the world and to my fans? I wanted to just be paid for making videos, if that makes sense. Um, and, uh, and yes, I did. I, I considered other things, you know, I, I, I had a bunch, you know, I was doing merch. I was doing live streams. I was doing, I was using Sage it. I was doing a bunch of stuff. I, I don't know why I was compelled to do this. I think probably because I didn't think it was going to be that hard. <laughs> yeah, totally. um, yeah. I just thought like, Oh great. Yeah, I'll just sketch out this website. We'll build it and I'll launch and you know, that'll be that. Um, I did not understand what it was like to build a company. Why didn't, why wasn't it like Pompa Moose plus and, and why did you think that it, had to be like, why did you want to serve others as well? At first it was Poplamus plus, not even Poplamus. It was me plus it was my right. website. You know, when I sketched it out, I was thinking about this. I might even have it in my backpack. It was like jackconti.com. It was like my oh, website. And then I remember around that time though, I started noticing hundreds and hundreds of creators doing what I was doing, but way better and way cooler and younger and getting more views and, you know, playing awesome music and building these amazing communities. And I was just like, I could build this for me, but like so many other people would want this too. 
um, it seemed like it would be a waste to just build it for me, that we should make it available to other people if they wanted it. What made you think that your community would pay you like that on a monthly basis? Because I feel like that's a big jump. Even today, a lot of creators have a little bit of imposter syndrome or they're underconfident when it comes to charging their community like that. At that point, I had been creating, I'd been uploading videos for seven years. I started uploading to YouTube in 2007 was my first YouTube video. And we were featured on the homepage in 2008. And I just felt the power of that community. I like, I felt the excitement and energy and enthusiasm of fans, that book drive that we had done a couple years before that. I just felt like people are, want to be a part of something awesome. They want to help. They want to join. They want to work with you as a creator. Did you have a sense too, from like playing shows, like playing shows and, and seeing who showed up? Like, what did that, was that a direct comparison or not really? Absolutely. Yeah. Like when Pomplamoos would go on tour, right. A thousand people would show up to right. our shows. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I, I remember just feeling, um, I was dumbfounded at first. Mm-hmm. I, it was dumbfounding, but there's a moment where you realize, wait a minute, this isn't the internet. This is people. There are people on the other side here yeah. and I'm making something important to them. Like we got comments back that were so nice. And so, you know, people said the, very meaningful stuff about our music and the role it played in their kind of youth and their life and the decisions that they made. And I just felt like there was something important there. Not even, it wasn't like, oh, I'm important or Pomplamoos is important. It was like this relationship between like a creator and their fans is, is an important relationship for so many people. Um, and I, yeah, I had, I had a lot of confidence that that, mm-hmm. would, that that would work. I think that's such a different experience because as YouTube creators, what we focus on a lot, when we make a video, we're, we put out the video and then we're looking at the retention graph and the metrics on viewership over time. And sentiment is not really a part of our mm-hmm. thought process. It's more numbers. But when we spoke in front of a couple hundred people recently, that experience is completely different. And it, it is wildly different than making a video for a million people. You feel an energy in the room with those people, with those hundred people, that you can feel how engaged they are. And I'd imagine that in playing shows, you're, it's a completely different feeling when you guys are done with the song and people are reacting. You're like, oh, these people are my people. Like, we're all in this thing together. Just getting that opportunity yeah. to see your fans in person is so impactful, I think. And, and not a lot of creators get that it's opportunity. It's really rare for, for digital creators. And we were lucky because it's, it's music. So right. it's like a pretty, yeah. there's like a, a whole in. lot of infrastructure mm-hmm. set up to support <laughs> live experiences for music creators. Um, and yeah, we, we definitely felt that energy. I mean, I, right. we would go to show, you look at Pomplamoose on YouTube, you think, oh, it's a cute kind of like indie pop yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Like Pomplamoose shows are insane. I crowd surf in Pomplamoose shows. <laughs> like I jump into the crowd and oh, get carried amazing. to the back of the room. And right. like, it is crazy and fun and we're right. rocking out. It's the most fun thing ever. I love those shows. That's that feeling. Mm-hmm. It's like, wait a minute, there's real energy here. Yeah. Yeah. So right when you, how do you get to launch of jackconti.com or did it quickly shift from jackconti.com to Patreon? So by the time I had sketched it out on those, on that printer paper, I was already thinking about it as, no, this is, this is more than just my website. This yeah. is something a lot of creators would want. 
Um, and how did, how did we get to launch? Well, again, the, the person was my, turned out to be my co-founder. We happened to be roommates and in college together. We were just randomly paired up in, uh, as freshman year roommates. And I called him up and I said, Sammy, you gotta to check this out. Look at what's happening. He was a huge fan of a bunch of creators already, Keena Granis and, and a bunch of others that he just listened to on a regular basis. And he was approaching it from the fan side. So I was kind of approaching it from the creator's perspective. He was approaching it from the fan's perspective. He got it instantly. He was like, Jack, this is gonna work. This is this is awesome. Um, and so we started building it that night, actually. When the day that I showed him the sketches, he wow. started building it. Um, took him about two and a half months. He built all of Patreon by himself in two and a half months, the, wow. the first version. And uh, and then, yeah, we launched with three creators. It was me, my girlfriend, and our roommate, uh, Lauren. And the three of us launched on the first day. And yeah, within like a couple weeks, I was making six figures as a creator. A couple weeks? Yeah, then wow. a couple weeks. Wow. And so it worked immediately. Immediately. And and I I I didn't know that that was going to happen. Like yeah. I, mm-hmm. I was confident there would be like energy there. Um and the first day, I think like within a few hours I got to $700 a month and I I thought like this isn't I can't believe it's like yeah. three times as much as I make in ad revenue in an hour. Um and then yeah, within a couple of weeks I was making, you know, it was clear that I was going to make six figures. If I kept creating, I would make six figures as a creator. Yeah. How much of you at this time was thinking, okay, this is amazing. My artistic career is now secure and I'm going to go stronger. I'm going to go heavier in that direction or, okay, this platform I just made is taking off. It was successful. Let me go hard in that direction. Yeah. This is, this is the, the, like, this is the hard thing that I don't talk about a lot, but it's been like a very painful like thing for me, um, if I'm being honest, um, because I, I am a, you know, my, my pilot light, it, it comes from creation and, and making things and making cool videos and doing projection mapping and telling stories. And, you know, um, that's like, that's where I get my energy from. And, um, yeah, it became very clear, like within a year or two that we were building a company, which is a triple time job. And there was this moment where, I remember I met with our head of operations and my wife, because I wasn't taking a salary from the company as CEO. I thought I said to the team, like, I want to make my living as a creator. I don't want to take a salary as a CEO, partially because I wanted to prove that the product would work. Mm -hmm. And also partially because it was like an identity thing for me. Like I wanted to make my living as an artist. I took a lot of pride in the fact that I made a living Mm -hmm. as an artist and I didn't want to make a living as a tech person. I wanted to make a living yeah. as an artist. Yeah. And I remember sitting down with our head of operations and my wife in our, in our apartment. And, um, it just became very clear that like the company's pace of growing and scaling and executive hiring and teammate hiring and all the things that we we were doing, um, needed full-time attention and not just full-time attention, like triple time. It's like, it is, it is a grueling job. And, um, that was a very difficult thing for me to kind of go through because it was a, it was an, it was an identity thing yeah. for me. Now, years after that, um, I kind of found a way by building teams. I, I got a bunch of team building skills working at Patreon and been able to apply those skills to Pomplamoose and Scary Pockets, which is my other band. And now both of those bands are putting out a new video every week. And so I'm, 
I'm a prolific creator again. Um, but there was a period of a few years there where I was heads down in operations. Um, I still am actually heads down in operations, but without creating for mm. a couple of years. And that was, that was a very challenging, tough moment. Yeah, that, I think that is um, one of the most challenging parts of this inflection point we're at right now of creators turning into small businesses. Because running a media company is really different from being a, an artist. It's completely different. Um, you actually start to productize your art, right? You look at it completely differently. You look at it from a process perspective, from a margin perspective, from- Systems design. Systems design perspective. And um, it's a completely different relationship with your work than it is- you know, and I'm wondering why, um, why did you choose to be the CEO and why, why weren't you just founder and, you know, number one creator on Patreon? Why did you say, I'm, I'm going to be the CEO of this company? Um, I think at the heart of it, there's some, uh, as a creator myself, I, I, have watched some of these companies go down a spiral of not taking care of the people who made the platforms. And I had never been on the inside of one of those companies. I'd only seen it happen from the outside, but I knew that as a creator, I wasn't feeling prioritized on Facebook. And as a creator, I wasn't feeling prioritized sometimes on YouTube even. Um, and I have felt from the beginning that I had just always wished that there had been a creator running one of these companies. Um, and I think I happened to stumble into that and I feel very lucky to be in that position. But I guess the answer to the question is, I think it's important that there's a creator at the helm of this thing um, for better or for worse, you know, for whatever, whatever trade-offs that means. I think it's important that there's a, person whose heart is in creators doing this. And, um, and so, so I'm doing it. Would you say that's the most important thing that you think you bring to Patreon? I think it's the thing that I bring to Patreon. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a lot of things I don't bring to Patreon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I, yeah. like it's no secret. I, I don't have like, Patreon's my first job. Like yeah, I didn't yeah. used to work at Facebook. Right. Like I'm not an engineer. I'm not, Jeff Bezos. I'm not, you know, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, I don't, I don't have those backgrounds or experiences or skills. And so the thing that I think I, I bring is that creator focus and centrism and, and care. I really love that answer. I think that's, that's, um, an intangible that might not be looked at as in, in, in a lot of different industries, but I think as our space, as the creator space continues to grow, it's going to be one of the most important things because, I think when you treat creators like um, tech startups, it you can't actually, it just doesn't work, right? And a lot of people I think are looking at creators like that. But a creator is a very complex individual and you're building for multiple creators. <laughs> like that is, I, I don't envy anyone who's building at scale for creators like that because I know my group of 20 creators that I hang out with, uh, we all have completely different needs. It's one of the most decentralized yeah. group of people with everyone has a different roadmap. There may be little bits of, and pieces that are shared, but they're all different. And it's actually what we think about with our show, like what, and, and what our content is. We think the exact same thing that we felt like 
a lot of creators are being covered from the outside in and we wanted to cover the space from the inside out. We wanted to be the voice of, you know, Hey, we've been doing it for 10 years. We think we can help you tell your story and tell this story to people who are interested in the creator space and tell the stories of creators to those interested because it should come from the inside. You can't understand it if you're not someone who presses upload or, or publishes content on a weekly basis. There's so much that, that you can't, you can do as much research as you want and yeah. talk to as many mm. creators as you want, but unless you've hit upload yeah. and you, you've felt the fear of saying the wrong thing yeah. or, or, you know, making the wrong episode that mm-hmm. pisses your fans off or that you hate too, that you <laughs> hate too and felt like, Oh, like you felt like you knew you shouldn't have, but you decided to take yeah. a risk or you're moving yeah. fast or what, like, yeah. unless you felt those things, <laughs> You, that you can't. And actually even the hard thing is like, even having felt those things, it's still hard. Like building for creators is so hard because every, it's a word that everybody's using these days. Everybody's Mm. using the word creator. But when we say creator, we mean something different than when LinkedIn says creators and they mean something different than when Facebook says creators. And there's no canonical definition of creator that the industry has agreed on. There's no singular set of attributes that makes a creator. So it's this kind of nebulous new thing that we're all kind of working on. And I, and I think it's, yeah, I think it's really hard. Even if you like, I am one type of creator, you guys are one type of creator, Mm -hmm. but there are so what, one of the things we found is there are so many types of creators, um, with, with even different kind of goals and ideas and desires. And, um, I mean, I was actually going to ask you guys the same question around being, being CEOs as Mm -hmm. opposed to, uh, you know, creators, like before we started recording here, we were talking about the process of making a call in a smear episode. Um, how, how have you kept the art alive? I guess, how have you, not let process get in the way of creation, you know, and, and how are you enjoying kind of being the, the systems designers mm-hmm. in addition to being creators? How's that? How are you handling that? I think it's a struggle and we're both very different. Yeah. I was going to say, I think the value or the reason it works for us is because there's two of us and we're not the same at all. Um, when I think about creating, I think about creating a world. Like my, in my vision is like, I think it's crazy that you're here right now in this space that's ours with our team over there that no one else can see. Uh, <laughs> and that we have more members of the team remote and like we're building a world. And when I go to bed at night, I imagine how could we build this world bigger? And then I imagine the world of when we're, you know, at Vid Summit and there's aspiring creators wearing our merch, walking up to us and talking to us about it, something we spoke about or someone's referencing something we talked about. Like I envision myself as a creator in a broader sense of like creating a world. Um, and I think that's where I naturally gravitate towards systems and process and building a company because I enjoy creating, um, a world and our relationship has always worked because Colin is more on the, on the micro level of like creating art and creating stories. Samir wants to to build a world and I would like to build a bunch of really nice buildings. (laughs) And if it takes me three years, I would take three years to make the nicest possible building. Right. Did you, did you stumble into that or did that, did, cause that is such a, a McCartney Lennon <laughs> one plus one equals three combo. Like it's such an amazing combo. Did you, did you know that about each other when you got started? We met through, um, 
making videos. So I had started a company called the lacrosse network. And my, my vision was also like, cause I was a part of this community, the lacrosse community. And I was like, why doesn't, why isn't there a video in this community? Why aren't we telling stories about the athletes? Why aren't we doing documentaries? Why don't we have our version of hard knocks? Like, why don't we have any of this? We have a magazine. It doesn't make sense to me. So I was like, well, I'll just make it. So I took to YouTube to make it. And then for me, like that concept was mine and I was excited about that concept. But then I was like, but I, I'm not the guy to, to, to make that. I can, I was editing videos at night and making highlights and I could take it a certain length, but then there was a documentary trailer that got posted by a lacrosse blog and it was on Vimeo and I watched it and it was the exact type of content I wanted um, to represent the, the network and the space, which was, it was a docu-series about the Colorado club lacrosse team. And it was about the guys on the team. It wasn't about lacrosse. It just so happened they played lacrosse. That was the backdrop. Mm-hmm. But it was about the human stories of what it's like to be a part of a team and be in college and care about something. And I was like, yes, this is this, whoever made this gets it. This is what I'm trying to do for our space. And that was Colin who made that. And that's how we met uh, was we ended up, dis- I ended up distributing his show on our network. And then he moved out to LA for a three month internship at the network. And then here we are 10 years later. So not an accident at all. Yeah. Very, yeah. yeah. Makes yeah. sense. And our, our context has always been work. Right. Um, after we spoke at Vid Summit, there was someone who came out to us and was like, hey, you know, I don't understand YouTube. I'm not interested really in YouTube, but I came here with my boyfriend. And I'm just curious, like, how long have you been friends? And we were like, oh, about 10 years. She was like, oh yeah, I can tell. She was like, but how does this work that you're working together yeah. <laughs> and your friends? And I was like, well, this may sound strange, but I don't call Samir just to hang out ever. You know, this is what we do to hang out. Right. And it's always been like that since the beginning. So I was curious, actually, just to go back to your story now, is the Pomplemousse Patreon, is it, has it been just running for eight years? <laughs> so the first creator to launch on Patreon was not Pomplemousse. Oh, it, was, it was me. Oh, it was you. Okay. Got for it. my wow. solo got career. It, got it. Yeah. Cause I, I, I mean, in addition to Pomplemousse, I was also making videos since 2007 for yeah. my own channel, um, which is just a whole lot of crazy, cool mm-hmm. music music videos, projection mapping, that kind of stuff. And that page is just still up and running and kind of paused. Um, Does so it still I mean, have patrons or? It still has patrons. I just, amazing. I haven't published a video on my YouTube channel. Mm. Not, not on my solo YouTube channel for maybe eight years. I mean, Pomplamoose is still putting out lots of videos. Yeah. Scary Pockets is putting out lots of videos. But on that solo channel, that solo channel, I kind of think is like my personal creativity mm-hmm. more so than like Pomplamoose or Pockets or team building. Um, it's like my solo voice as like a as a songwriter, and that's a little hard to build like a a team around. So I, I just mm-hmm. I yeah, I kind of haven't done anything there for a long time. But that solo channel has its own Patreon. Page. It does. Okay. Yeah, and that's the one that's been up for yeah. eight years, hanging out. So we've always been in the business of building niche communities, right? Like that is who we are. We, we love making videos for the community we're a part of. We did it first when we both grew up playing lacrosse and felt like something was missing. And then again, mo- more recently with Colin and Samir, we felt like 10 years ago when we started on YouTube, there wasn't like a space to hear stories about how this all worked. And that's what we wanted. So we this is what we made, right? It's like, we are very, we're very much creatures of, of habit in the sense of, Hey, we're part of a community. It's missing something. We want to make it. 
And um, that fits really nicely with Patreon, with the, with the business model of Patreon. Um, we, I wanted to talk a bit about our hesitancy around launching a Patreon. Great. And hear your kind of response, because I, I would imagine there's other creators who feel like us as well. Yeah. Um, we've toyed around with it for years. And what we get concerned about with, with membership and like indefinite membership, I guess I'll say, mm -hmm. is what happens over long periods of time? Is it just a recipe for either the creator to eventually stop or burn out and for an audience member to get bored? Like, how does it, how does it work over long periods of time? Um, and that's been our main concern is that if we start one today, it's scary to think that it's indefinite. It, it's much more like digestible if we think about, we're going to do a pay-per-view course, right? We did a course last year, has a start and an end. It has a set price. You pay that price, you get that value, the end, right? And now we could do it again, maybe. Um, but membership matters because the only way we were able to do this and build a company and build a process and have a career doing this is through monthly recurring revenue. And that's what membership does. So what I guess do you say to creators like us who are concerned about that notion of indefinite, you know, I don't know. Yeah. My <laughs> concern has always been, we're not Netflix. We're not licensing yeah. content, right? So it's all on us. Yeah. It's all on us. Yeah. You guys aren't a machine. You're creators. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so two things. <laughs> One, when Patreon launched, we didn't launch with the monthly product. That's not how Patreon launched because that was my concern too. I was like, what if I want to take three months off or what if I want to take a year off? Right. So actually paid per month was not how it worked. It was paid per video or paid per uh, podcast or paid per whatever. You could fill in the blank. Oh. Um, and then one time uh, someone signed up and wrote per month and they just kind of hacked the platform and we thought hmm, that should be a feature. So oh, we made wow. it, we made a per month checkbox <laughs> and then you could be paid per month instead of per work. And now 93% of creators somewhere around there do per month instead of per thing. Uh, per I didn't even know I didn't per even thing know was that an option. Yeah, I know that was an it's option. An option. Um, oh, that's it's, interesting. It's not exactly the most elegant solution to the problem of like, hey, I'm not a machine, I'm a human. I want to be able to take breaks. Like there, I think there are more elegant solutions to that mm. um, that we can solve in a variety of ways. But the first thing I would say is like, yes, that fear resonates so much with me personally. I launched per video, not per month for that same reason. Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing I would say is a lot of creators have this fear of I, my membership is a promise. I've made a promise to my members. Here are the tiers. There's $3, there's $5, there's $25. And you know, I've made these promises for each of these tiers. And I must deliver every month. Um, that is not true. The best memberships we found are the ones that change and evolve over time. You guys just made a great video about Emma Chamberlain and how her content changed over time and how a lot of creators have fear of changing their content strategy. It was a beautiful video. I thought you articulated a problem really well. Same is true of memberships. Like the best memberships grow with the creators. They grow with your evolving content strategy. They change as you do different things. Um, and so we actually see when creators change their tiers and benefits, which we now have a product to do, you can change your tiers and benefits and change your price points. And Pomplamoose just went through that ourselves when we relaunched 
our, our new weekly video series. Um, we totally threw out our old tiers and benefits, changed them and, and created new ones with new price points and the whole thing. Um, and it was great. It was actually a moment of growth for the band in terms of our members. Like our, our members were pumped about it. Um, now there's a little bit of a process there. You want to talk to your community first, say, sure. Hey, you know, here's what we're thinking about doing. Here's the new tiers. What do you think? Should we do anything different? We got feedback. We incorporated the feedback. We relaunched with the feedback and it was awesome. But I guess the point of all that is creators are not machines. You can't do the same thing every month until you die. <laughs> um, you, you need to, uh, express your own creativity. You need to grow your creativity. You need to grow your yourself and adjust your content stream, adjust your content strategy. And so, uh, yeah, we encourage creators to change their tiers, change their benefits, change their programs. Mm. Um, and it actually has been like a wonderful thing for creators to have that renewed sense of freedom. So you don't feel like you're locked into something. That's really interesting. I, I like thinking of it like that. And, um, is there anything on the, like, is it per creator what the average, I guess, lifetime value or lifespan of a, of a member is, or is it typical that, you know, someone who subscribes to a Patreon will, will remain subscribed for years and years and years. Most of the value of the pledges basically stay around for, for many, for many groups of patrons indefinitely. Mm. Um, there's churn. Um, yeah. but on the whole, what we found is creators create and they do it really well, right. <laughs> a lot of creators. And so on average, creators actually grow over time a lot. Creators typically double their earnings over the course of their first year on the platform and they triple their earnings over the course of their first two years on average. So yes, you lose some members because you know, some people joined, I guess, for this specific thing and then you change things or whatever it is, or they're just, you know, they want to move on and they're interested in other things. There's some of that, but over the whole creators are, are finding that they're growing more than they're shrinking. Mm, cool. This would be a great, right, great time to announce our Patreon. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this feels like the right time to, <laughs> that's great. No, but that's, that's really cool. And I think, um, in the past we weren't yet qualified creators and I'll explain a bit more meaning like we didn't really have the strongest pulse on our value prop for our community until more recently and I think now it's very clear when we sit and talk about it what would go in our patreon whereas before it was more loose of like well I guess we could do stuff like that or what if we did something like that and now it's like very clear cut what would go there right and I think when that happens, then it's obvious that maybe you are ready for, for membership. But I'm curious if you have an opinion on what type of creator is right and what type of creator maybe isn't right for launching a Patreon. Absolutely. Um, and by the way, I, I, I hope it doesn't sound like I'm trying to sell you guys on Patreon. Like for a lot of creators, it's not right. like they don't want to yeah, do yeah. it. And that's totally mm -hmm. legit and, and fine. Um, so, you know, no, no, no pressure yeah. from, from I mean, me. it's been 10 years and we no. haven't joined Patreon. Yeah. Yeah. It's been 10 years, but yeah. I'm oh, interested. We, yeah. I will say we're having more serious conversations about it now. Yeah. And this is why we're asking you these questions. It's sure. taken us like, a long time to figure out who yeah. we are. Yeah. 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 Makes sense. Um, so, so here's, here's who it's good for. And, and this, this will change over time as well, because we want obviously for, I mean, in the self-interest of the business, but also just for the mission of the company, like we want to make Patreon accessible to all creators. Um, 
But I would say for the first seven years of, of the company, we're not trying to like compete with YouTube. We're not trying to compete with Twitter or Facebook and be the best place in the world to discover new stuff that you love. And we have to like build personalization algorithms and ranking and we'd have to mitigate the relationship between creators and their fans. And we don't want to do any of that. Um, so we didn't invest in search. We didn't invest in discovery, which means like if you're a creator and you don't really have a following, Patreon doesn't work so well for you. Like if you're, if you're a creator and you can upload a YouTube video and get 10,000 views and say, Hey everybody, I'm launching a Patreon, then Patreon's awesome for you. Um, but if you haven't really found product market fit with your work, with your creativity, then like Patreon isn't going to help you accomplish that. We help you with the membership part. And the thinking there was there are a lot of companies that have 10 years of a head start on Patreon, on discovery, search, personalization, algorithms, all that stuff. That's not, that's not going to be our value to the world. We're going to focus on the things that those companies weren't focusing on, which was the payments portion and helping a creator actually build like a, a paying community of, of their most passionate fans. Um, so yeah, all that to say, if you haven't yet found like fit with your, with, if you haven't found an audience yet, Patreon's not going to help you find an audience. We will help you like convert a portion of your audience to paying members is essentially what we do. And then who is it great for? I think it's great for creators who, who, you know, are serious about what they do and want to make a living being a creator or want to build a business being a creator. Um, there are creators now on Patreon. I think people don't really know this, but there are creators on Patreon that are making literally $9 million a year on the oh platform. And I guess most people don't like that know so that. so much money. It's a lot of yeah. money. Um, we actually just had, yeah, there, there are creators like literally doing like over a million dollars a month on the platform now. So that 9 million figure is from last year. Um, why am I saying that? I think I'm saying that because these creators <laughs> are, they have office space. They have 30 employees. Yeah. They have yeah. a COO. Like we don't get to talk to them anymore. We talk to their executive team. Like yeah. it's a whole new version of what a creator is. And those creators are building these massive businesses using membership as a major portion of their, of their PNL to kind of scale the organization, pay their teams, mm. pay their bills, you know, level up their work, invest in gear, all that kind of stuff. That's amazing. That is, uh, I would say much bigger than I maybe anticipated, you know, is that like the top? Yeah, it's the top. That's the top. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I mean, mo you know, the, the vast majority, as I mentioned, like the vast majority of our, uh, half of our payments volume is going yeah. to creators who are making between a thousand and 10,000 is like middle right. class creativity. Yeah. There are a couple creators who are just at amazing scale and, yeah, that's incredible. and have, you know, reaching a ton of folks. And is that typically in like podcasting or is it across? It's across, it's the, across board. the board. Sometimes it's podcasting. A lot of it is video. Yeah. Um, you know, web comics are big on, on Patreon as well. Visual art is big. Writing yeah. is big. Mm -hmm. So there was a moment in time where you realized that Patreon was going to work for you as an artist. When did you realize Patreon was going to work as a platform? That's such a good question. Um, cause at the beginning I like had faith <laughs> that it would work as yeah. a platform. I felt like it was other people would want to use it too and would see value in it. Um, and it started working for many, many people. 
you know, maybe I'll, I'll separate it out. I, I would say like, I knew that that core idea would, would work very early on. And I saw it working creators launched and started making thousands of dollars a month within the first year. So many creators surpassed me as a creator, you know, at the time when I launched in 2013, I had a hundred thousand subs. Um, and then creators started launching who had 500,000 subs and million subs. And they started just you know, crushing my, my earnings. And then I, I yeah, at that point I've, I had a lot of confidence that like, that's going to be a, a, a really important model for a lot of people. Um, and then in terms of the, the company, you know, I would say over the last four years or so is when it's become really clear that like Patreon, I think has the potential to become like a, a very meaningful, broad company. You know, we're serving creators in over a hundred countries now. Um, there's patrons in almost every country in the world. You know, half of our payments volume is outside the U S and, and a, and a lot of that has kind of become clear over the last, you know, four years. It feels like Patreon could really you know, be a very meaningful thing for a lot of people. And then through COVID, I think watching the community rally, watching patrons step up, watching members jump in and that was a really meaningful, wonderful thing too, I think, to see. And it made me feel like Patreon was becoming an important piece of infrastructure. We have a long way to go. We have a lot of work to do. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's like over the last few years, especially seeing people wake up to the creator economy has been really, really awesome. With people waking up to the creator economy and, and all of the sort of competition now, it feels like every platform is, has added membership or has plans to go deeper in that direction. Do you feel like, Patreon now needs to pivot to and start to become something else or how, how does Patreon stay ahead? Yeah, we don't want to become something else. I think we want to expand what we, what we do and what we provide for creators. Um, and a big piece of me is just so freaking relieved that these platforms are taking creator monetization seriously. Now I feel like I've been freaking begging for these features mm. <laughs> for eight years and Largely, I feel like tech companies respond to lawsuits and competition. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, I think Patreon is like now helping a meaningful amount of creators. And so these companies are seeing it and, and wanting to, wanting to kind of jump in and, and be a part of that. Um, which is great. I think it, you know, for creators, it means more leverage. It means, they get to choose. Um, yeah, you know, creators have an, I'm not even sure creators realize how much leverage they have right now. This is the day in the age of, of creator. Um, I think it's a really great thing for creative people and for Patreon. What does that mean? I think it means that we have to like level up the craft and quality of our product. We have to continue to figure out how to serve creators in new and novel ways um, launch better products, do things like native media experiences, solve a lot of those pain points that are on creators' minds that they're asking us for anyway. Um, I mean, honestly, it's a little bit like being a creator, right? There's like thousands of creators now on YouTube. Like, how do you differentiate? You just keep making better stuff. You just like keep going, keep changing, keep growing, keep saying new things, keep providing value to your audience. We, you know, we want to do the same thing. So, you know, whether it's, video or whether it's native community experiences, which, you know, we want to build. Um, it just means continuing to kind of iterate on the core product and, and helping it, you know, helping creators more. 
So going from being an artist creator and now running a company where you just raised $155 million and, and are valued at $4 billion, I'm not positive I would know what to do with $155 million. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do with, like, what, what do you do with, with that scale that you've reached? So the money goes to the team, yeah. right? It goes to the Patreon team. The vast majority of that money is paying employees to build cool shit. Right. Um, so that's where the money goes. And then, you know, the, where I think creators will see that and where you'll feel it is in features Got it. and new things. So, you know, we're doing a ton of work on the mobile app uh, to like level up the craftsmanship and quality. We're building native content. We're building native community. We're, um, we're making a membership feel like I can take out my phone and communicate with my most devoted, most important fans really seamlessly and easily. Um, that's kind of, you know, what we want to build. That's like a lot of people and a lot of time to build slick, beautiful, native quality community and, and, uh, media experiences like that. So, um, that's where it's going. It's going, it's going to the team who's going to build amazing products and, and features. Um, what for you is the difference between a, an artist and a professional creator? How does someone make that jump? What do, what do you have to care about? What do you have to think about? What's the difference between those two things? You know, I've, I've heard you guys talk about this before and there's something different about creators and I, maybe I, I haven't really put my finger on it yet, but you know, I think we, we were talking earlier about all these companies that are now serving creators. What, what is that canonical list of attributes that mm -hmm. makes a creator, yeah. you know? I think it's a couple things and maybe there's a difference here with, you know, between that and, and what makes an artist. Um, I think audience for me is a big piece of it. Now, some companies would say, no, you don't need to be an, you don't need to have an audience to be a creator, right? Like Adobe serves creators, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but their creators don't necessarily have audience. Um, people use Photoshop. I think Adobe will call them creators, um, but they don't have to have a following. But the way I use the term creator, I'm thinking of people who have a following. I'm thinking of people who invest a lot in one-to-many relationships. I'm thinking of people who invest in one-to-many relationships where the term you guys have, have used in your videos is this sort of parasocial relationship. Mm -hmm. It's an asymmetric relationship where my audience maybe feels like they know me, but I don't necessarily know each member of my yeah. audience, which is like a really bizarre mm -hmm. age for, for humans to be, uh, to be wading through here at, at this kind of scale. Um, but I think those are some key attributes of a creator. And then I think the other, the other big ones are I make stuff and mm -hmm. it is digital media and I use the internet to distribute that stuff. Um, I think that's a creator and the, and maybe some of the differences between creators and artists I think of creators, and again, this is just my own personal kind of feeling about it. I guess there's probably people would have a lot of different definitions here, but there's there's a different type of people finding success as a creator, I've found. There's a desire to serve an audience, yeah. to have impact. There's an analytical aspect of being a creator where I'm figuring out systems design and mm. algorithms and tweaking and adjusting and learning over time. And when I think of like traditional artists, I think of these sort of high conviction, I'm going to say the thing I have to say, I make for myself, I don't make for my audience. Um, I make for, for me, for my own pleasure and creative outlet and expression. And, and I feel like creators have this sense of like, 
no, I want to have impact with my work. Like I want to reach people and, mm-hmm. and I want to zig and zag and adjust my strategy based on response. And I can yeah. sort of pivot and find my way to having impact on others and having a conversation with others. Um, that I think is part of the key difference, at least when I think about artists versus creators, like imagine the example I always give, cause it's just so striking. Imagine Jimi Hendrix getting up in front of a webcam and be like, Hey guys, yeah, 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 right. like, don't forget to like, and subscribe. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it's just, you can't even imagine it. It's yeah. crazy. Like that's a, that's a type of person that I think finds amazing impact, reaches people, but it's a different personality than a lot of the the creators that are popping up today. One is not, I'm not saying one is better than the other. It's just, I think it's the, the, the ecosystem of the web has selected for a different type of person that is rising to the top. Mm. Um, and those people I think we call creators. I think um, what's interesting is in there, what I started to realize is that I think an artist makes content for their audience, whereas a creator makes content with their audience, mm. right? Like they're exactly what you just mentioned. They're kind of shape, shaping the content with their audience. And I think one thing that we're looking at in the future of what a community looks like and what a membership looks like, like we send out a newsletter every Tuesday and Friday um, about news and in, in the creator world. And what we're noticing is that a lot of people are replying to that newsletter wanting to chat and it's coming all to us. And ideally our next iteration of this is that we turn the, the page a bit or, or turn it out and so that they can communicate with each other. So a newsletter gets sent out and we kind of spark a conversation, but that conversation has a space. And I think even with our YouTube videos, we always have this visualization of, it's like we're opening the doors to a convention hall when we upload and people can come in and talk to each other, but it might not necessarily be they watch the whole video or they you know, are fully engaged the whole time, but it actually just gave them a topic to talk about, right? A hundred percent. We've been thinking about this a lot inside the company. This notion of community around content yeah. mm-hmm. is kind of how we're thinking mm-hmm. through it. Um, conversation actually, actually like echoes that too. When I yeah. talk to you, if this were filmed, this would be called content. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then you talk back to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm the person who filmed this, I would call that conversation or comments. Right. Um, but to you, it would be content. Yeah. Like conversation and content is actually, there's a blurry line there. Like in many ways, mm-hmm. community is content. But I guess maybe the, the, the way we're thinking about it is those interactions between members are so important and so valuable. It's how people learn. It's how people grow. It's how people kind of find belonging. It's how they find normalization is in talking with others like them. Um, it's one of my favorite things about discord as a platform, um, which I, I love. I, I think discord is amazing. The scary pockets discord is hopping. Ryan and I are in there once a week. We do a live stream. Mm-hmm. We play some songs. Mm-hmm. The rest of the time people are hanging with each other, sharing songs, talking through ideas. Like it's such a vibrant, great space. Um, and they're not there for pockets. They're there for each other. And pockets happens to be the kindling yes. that kind mm-hmm. of sparks their interaction with each other. Um, and in that sense, we're kind of like a catalyst or like nudges, but you know, people are there for friends, not for us, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I think we've seen a lot of creators 
create communities, but we're going to see communities create creators. Like I think Reddit right now is so ripe mm. for people to come in, see, you know, what's a super active, successful Reddit community. If you're also a member of that community, there you go. Like you want to mm. have an audience and be a creator, like start there. I think that's why people have different definitions of creators because those people are absolutely creators. Totally. They're creating insights and conversation. And Mm -hmm. uh, why wouldn't Reddit call them creators? Like they are creators. Mm -hmm. It's just a different type of creator than what Patreon thinks about. So this question is more, I think also just internally what Colin and I've been talking about when it comes to community and what we're talking about um, is does the future of Patreon include crypto? And is that a world where instead of paying US dollars, you're, you're getting a token and you're part of a community and that's accruing in value? And how does, how does that play into the future roadmap of Patreon? Yeah, the way I'm thinking about it right now is um, I think we're moving toward a world where creators own their own distribution. They own sounds a little strange to say that you own your audience, but you own your customer base. I don't know how to say it. Even that feels a little weird. Um, On YouTube, you don't own your audience. You rent it from, from YouTube Mm -hmm. and they can turn it off whenever they so deem uh, it fit. Um, Same on Facebook. Now, you know, when Palm Moose goes to make a post on Facebook, Uh, we get a little pop-up that says, oh, would you like to reach, you know, 2.5% of your audience instead of 2.1% of your audience? Pay $200 and you can reach an extra (laughs) 0.6% of your audience. Um, That's not owning our customer base. That's not owning our fans. That's not owning our audience as a a creator. That's the platform mitigating the relationship between the creator and the fan. And I think those days are coming to an end. Hallelujah. and I think crypto is going to play a big part of that, of like creators owning distribution um, and uh, and having ownership of their customer base and audience base in a way that they don't on the platforms. So that's one thing. We believe in that world and want to move yeah. into that world. And we're, we're kind of already there in that when you make a post on Patreon, it goes to 100% of your fans every single time without exception. Um but I think what crypto does is it, it kind of, you know, you can guarantee that <laughs> in a way that you can't if, if a platform ultimately owns it. So I'm, I'm excited about crypto. Then the second thing I'd say about like NFTs in general is I think NFTs have a similar value proposition to Patreon in mm-hmm. a way That's where right. at the end of the day, it's about access and special experiences and special content and special communities. It's a ticket. And isn't that what your membership is? It's like a ticket to Mm -hmm. special stuff. I think the difference is when you enable it as a token, that ticket could accrue in value. It's not a one-time purchase. And if your ticket can accrue in value, then you as an audience member have a different relationship with being a member of that community. You actually have an incentive to make that, you have an incentive to become a creator in that community to make it a better experience Mm -hmm. so that you have a monetary incentive that that might accrue in value. Yeah, I think the, the value props right now of, of, you know, NFTs essentially are, it's like a security. It can like grow in value over time. That's definitely one of them. 
I think the other thing is the kind of abstraction of ownership, mm -hmm. feeling like mm -hmm. I own the title to this house or I own right. the title to this piece of art. There's, there's something there. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's really the same as owning a title to a, to a house. Sure. Um, but it, but there are people who are, who really like that and want the kind of abstraction of mm -hmm. ownership. Um, but I think the, the third and most exciting value prop that I, I think is going to be, you know, big for, for crypto and, and NFTs is access is entitlement for, you know, a member. Um, you know, if, if I hold this token or if I own this NFT, I get into new worlds. I get into special experiences that I wouldn't otherwise have access to. And that feels very similar to Patreon. So I guess all that to say, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, um, you know, we, we, like it's not on our roadmap for Q4, yeah, yeah, sure, <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, I think it's inevitable that there's overlap there. Similar values. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. that a world that you personally experiment with, whether it's buying NFTs or getting into token gated discords, things like that? I've, I've invested in a few platforms mm -hmm. and have talked to a few founders about what they're building. And, um, and so, yes, I'm like personally excited yeah. about it. Yeah. Cool. cool. So as creators, we mentioned like the one thing that we, I think the three of us sitting at this table can, can really understand about each other is that we've had moments of creating something, putting it out and we knew it was wrong and our audience knew it was wrong. And Colin and I had a moment like that this year where we put out a video and, and we were actually pretty excited about it, but our audience immediately came back and was like, this was the wrong video. And we, the rest of the day, basically, I think there was, you have this moment as a creator where you're like, oh, it's all over now, right? This, that was it. How did the, I get, get so off track yeah, that the, I thought this was great? Right. And, um, cause you get, you do get distanced. Yeah. You do. It's yeah, inevitable yeah, yeah. that you yeah. develop a different perspective. Yeah. And, and as you know, YouTube creators, and I think since we've gotten our process down where we can put something out every week, the amazing thing is that we get to have a bit of a short memory and be like, okay, well we can fix this and we can do a better video next week. Right. We can, we can get back to the drawing board and figure out, have you had a moment like that with the platform of Patreon where you were like, Oh, that I was excited about that, but that wasn't the right. No, thing. never. No. It's been smooth sailing the whole time. <laughs> no mistakes. That's what I would anticipate. No problems. About. Yeah. You know, we're just cruising. <laughs> um, yeah. Which, which of the thousand uh, would you like to talk about? I'll, I'll give you like probably the gnarliest one just yeah. to kind of go straight yeah. into the, the juice. Yeah. Um, and, and I say this because I think it's really important. Creators talk about this. Founders talk about this. It's in speeches, but people actually don't. I find actually do it, which is to talk about bad mistakes yeah. and to celebrate those mistakes as like key lessons and moments that define the identity and trajectory mm -hmm. of the company or the person or the team or whatever it is. Um, so I, I offer this example, um, not to kind of chew us out, but just to, to, in the spirit of celebrating mistakes and learning from those mistakes. We fucked. Oh, sorry. Can I swear? Can I? Wow. We, we fucked up so hard. Cats out of the bag. Like, okay. like four years ago, five years ago, we it was like the worst product rollout we'd ever done. Where we essentially, what we were trying to do is, the way fees on Patreon are a combination of a thousand little factors that have to do with multi patronage and cross pledging and all these things that we're giving creators this wobbly fee structure every month. You couldn't really forecast how much your fees were going to be because it would depend on how many patrons you had that were also patrons of other people and charged at the same time and all this stuff. I won't get into it. We wanted to give creators a clean 
95% cut. And so our thinking was, we'll just charge a fee on the patron side and have mm-hmm. them pay credit card fees. Oh God, bad decision. We did a bunch of quantitative research. We put out a bunch of tests and, you know, talked to patrons about it and sorry, not talk to patrons about it. We, we put it like in the product for them to kind of work through. And we found that it was awesome. It was great for conversion. Creators made more money. They got the clean 95%. Um, but they were quantitative tests. They weren't qualitative tests and it wasn't human to human research. Hey, how do you feel about this? And we put it out and it was an absolute disaster. Like creators, what happened was patrons said, wait a minute, I'm paying five bucks a month this year. I'm paying a dollar a month to this creator and you're going to charge me 30 cents on top of that. Mm. They went and then talked to creators and said, Hey, do you know that Patreon is charging me an extra 30 cents for my membership to you? And then creators went on Twitter and said, what the fuck Patreon? Ah, we, we, it was such a bad miss. And the, there are a couple key lessons for the company from that. The first was never step in between a creator and their fans. That is a sacred relationship that we have to honor and respect. And we should not inject ourselves into that relationship. Um, We have to tell creators what's coming up, what's happening, and let them tell their fans and Mm. give them options. Um, Okay, second thing, speaking of options, is optionality. We have to do things in a way that preserve optionality for creators. Creators want to run their businesses in a variety of ways. And we have to get good at that. And then the third thing is just obvious, which is qualitative research. Talk to humans, mm. talk to them, <laughs> hear what they think about things Hear If it's okay with them, interview them. Um, if we had done that, we would have systemically in the company gotten that feedback earlier before rolling out the product. Those are like key lessons for us in the early stages of, of product rollouts. I think what's really interesting is that even at a company that's led by a creator, right? Like when you go from Jack Conti creator to Jack Conti CEO, there's a natural thing that happens where you start to get more and more distance from all of this, right? From being on stage and hearing the the crowd or from being a creator and understanding the pulse of, or from being a creator on Patreon and understanding the relationship. And I think that's the thing you mentioned earlier about the intangible. It's like, there's people creating for creators who are further distanced, who have never experienced the relationship with an audience. And I think it's, I think it's, it's great to tell the story like this because I think what you're experiencing with the platform Patreon or what you experienced there is the same thing that we have to think about with our audience as creators. Like we're, we're making a product for a group of people and we have to not just look at metrics, but, and, but we have Mm -hmm. to look at, who is our audience and how are we providing value to them? Yeah. It's a great story. A hundred percent. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's such a, it's such an important lesson and you're absolutely right. There are similarities, you know, yeah. I often feel like I'm just, I'm still just being a creator just at like a different scale. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and where your a, audience is, are, are some of the biggest creators on the internet. So if you do something, they're going to be a megaphone, right? Like hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. but yeah, a lot of it too, like in, in many ways it doesn't, it is very helpful. I think that I'm a creator Yeah. and, um, 
you know, the, the, what we're doing at Patreon, the team is 300 people now. So like we're designing systems. I'm, you know, hiring an executive team yeah. who designs systems that generate products. Right. And, and, and there's a lot of complexity in mm. that. Um, and look, buck stops with me. Like, I don't mean to diffuse any mm-hmm. of the responsibility. That whole payments debacle, that's my fault. And I screwed up and I need to own that and own that lesson from that. Um, uh, and it's, it's also true that the, that the challenge is different than like, you know, building the building, as you said before, mm-hmm. right? If, if I were just building the building, it'd be a different kind of thing. Um, and then to your point, Samir, around the distance, like it, it, as much as I'm sitting here talking about, I'm a creator, I'm a creator. Yes, I am a creator. Yes, I'm making lots of videos. And I'm also in a different position now. Yeah. Financially, I'm in a different position. Patreon's a very valuable company. I'm a big shareholder in Patreon. Like my personal wealth is different now than most creators that, you know, puts me in a position of privilege and power that is different than most creators. And if I didn't acknowledge that I I wouldn't be doing my job. Um, So yeah, I guess I, I, you know, acknowledging the distance, being aware of the distance and just continuing to try to close the gap in whatever ways I can, I think is such an important, you know, important part of it. Um, I mean, if, if, if you don't do that, then I think you're just going to keep falling on your face. I think the best thing you can do to sort of mitigate those types of situations is hire the right people, right? Like have the right people in the building. And it's the same for us. You know, Samir and I uh, have had, videos that we wanted to make that we then ask the team, they're all creators in their own right. Who've been watching our channel for five plus years who go, no, I don't think that's actually right. <laughs> like they many times know what's right. Actually right? the Emma Chamberlain video you mentioned was a specific example of that where that, that was a great, video. that was great an idea. idea we had. I mean, it was going to happen eventually, but it was low on our priority list. And but then, you never know because if we didn't make it then, yeah, you never know. It could you get never pushed. Know. It could get pushed, but our team, everyone in this room was was basically fought us on saying that's the right video. It was make. unanimous. Yeah, it was unanimous. It was like, that's the video we got to make. Samir and I had a video yeah. about NFTs we wanted to make. Yeah, yeah. Everyone said, nope, yeah. Emma Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah. And that that video has now been, you know, one of our, the videos that most people reach out to us about. We've connected with creators we always wanted to chat with because they said, you struck a chord in that video where wow. I've been wanting to hear someone say this for a long time. So wait, then I, I have a follow-up question for you yeah. guys about that because this is another, another struggle. One thing I found like great operators, really great, like business operators, mm-hmm. partners, you know, teammates, there's a balance of like conviction mm-hmm. about ideas. Like, I know this is right. I believe I'm, I'm, I'm doing it, <laughs> which I think like company building and, and, and creation yeah. takes conviction. Right. But the balance of that is humility. And what you're mm-hmm. talking about is like getting feedback from the team mm-hmm. saying, no, 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 that's not the right video mm-hmm. guys. This is the right video. Make that one. Um, how have you balanced conviction and yeah. humility? How do you know when to take feedback and, and go with what someone else is saying versus kind of, believing in your core idea and going with the NFT video. (laughs) One thing I will say is that we've spent many years just working with each other and we've made a lot of mistakes and put out a lot of videos we didn't like. So history has shown us that when it's just us in a silo, sure, we'll get a lot of things done. 
and we've made strides, but we've also made a ton of mistakes that had there been someone else in the room, we probably wouldn't have made those mistakes. This is the visual I think that, that I like to think in this setting is like, I always like to think about the first thing we have to do or when we became professional creators, what happened was we created a canvas, right? Prior to that, we had paint and we were painting anywhere. The thing that changed was, okay, actually we're just gonna focus our energy in this canvas, right? And then once we do that, Colin and I are still like basically really close to the canvas painting. The team is standing behind us and recognizing when we go outside the lines. And they're like, no, 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 guys, you're, you're outside the lines. And we're like, what are you talking about? This is a beautiful thing I've drawn. But they're like, yeah, but you're outside of the canvas. And you're like, but we've always gone outside yeah, the canvas. Yeah. Like, we love going outside the canvas. And I realized this when our, we, we made one of our first business hires when I brought a deal to him that was the largest single deal we'd ever seen ever. And it was outside the bounds of what we had just told him was our focus for the year. And I was like, yeah, it's outside the bounds, but like, we're going to take this deal. It's the biggest deal we've ever gotten. Of course we're going to take the deal. And he was like, no, but it's outside the bounds. And I was like, well, what are you trying to say? He was like, oh, we're going to say no to this deal. And I, I took a step back and I was like, wow, that's really freeing that we brought someone in who is going to say no. And when we said no to that deal, we sent that email. I remember feeling like this weight off my shoulder. And I was like, yeah, that wasn't actually in line with what we wanted to do this year. Oh, and I was I'm like, so happy we didn't yeah, do that. I would have changed the trajectory of the year completely. And mm -hmm. I think now as we start to look at whether you're on the creative team or on the business team, like that, our job is to communicate the canvas, but we're too crazy to continue painting in the lines of that canvas unless we have people holding us accountable to say, you're, you're painting outside the canvas now. And so that's the job of a creative team. As you grow as a creator, that's the job of your team. You're still the creator. You still have paint in your hand and want to paint anywhere. You want to, you have an idea, you have a sip of coffee and you're like, wait, let's do this today. And it's like, no, no, no. Why are we doing that? That's outside the bounds. Do it in here. It's the difference between an artist and yeah, a creator. And a creator. It's so important, I think, to be crisp about what you want and what yeah. you're trying to accomplish. And I remember in my in my early years as a creator, it definitely was a struggle because there's a lot of inbound that you get yeah, as a creator. Yeah, somebody yeah, wants you to do this. Somebody wants you to speak at this thing. Yeah, yeah. There's this cool brand opportunity uh -huh, over uh -huh. there. And if you, if you're trying to like get to a point where you can, you know, play rooms around the U S that are a thousand plus people. And that's like, you mm -hmm. have this dream of touring and playing at thousand person venues. There's like a thousand things that are pulling you in different, in yes. not that direction yeah. over the course of the mm -hmm. year. And yeah, part of the struggle I think as a, as a creative person is knowing like, what things do I say no to? Um, mm -hmm. cause that can actually be more defining even than the things that you, that you say yes to. It's hard to say no. Also when you're scared, when you're like, well, when you live in a scarcity mindset of, I don't know if another opportunity like this will come. It's terrifying to say no. How often do you guys have that feeling where it's like, well, that was the last good thing I ever made. Yeah. Probably yeah. not going to make more good things. Potentially every yeah. week. Um, <laughs> at some, in some level. Every time I start a new timeline, I'm like, I don't know if this is like yeah. the last one. <laughs> yeah, is it going to happen again? Why do we do that? To, I, my brain wants to just do that to me all the time. Yeah. It's such a hard part that, of it. That's the value of building a team because now you start to realize like, you know, when, when, for us, I, I recognize like we are, you go from being an artist to like a professional problem solver and the problems are really fun to solve when you're doing it together. And I think that is um, the most enjoyable when you recognize, like when you have that feeling of like, is this the last good thing I'm going to make? That's actually a problem. And you just turn to the team and like, 
let's solve this together. And that's exciting to me. That's where I think how I was describing, like I think in creating worlds where that world is really fun for me. And it used to be really overwhelming when it was just him and I. And I think it's even more overwhelming when you're just a single creator. Cause then you have a problem and you're like, it's impossible to solve. How can I solve that? Uh, so the, one of the hardest things I think about being a creator, and I didn't even know this until starting Patreon and working with a team, companies provide a lot of things. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. like, and I'm not saying it's even like, oh, the company's being so benevolent. It's just that when you're working with groups of people who have shared goals, there's camaraderie, yeah. there's community, there's lifting each other up when you're down, mm -hmm. there's education and coaching mm -hmm. and learning from each other and clarity around focus and goals. All these things that are infrastructural about output and, and working as a person that creators don't get. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to this Substack creator the other day who, who writes a, a newsletter. I was actually interviewing him for a, a podcast that we're going to spin up. And um, he's, I, you know, I, I asked him what, what he missed about being, you know, being employed by TechCrunch, which is what he used to write for. And his answer was like, essentially, like, I miss the newsroom. I miss mm -hmm. hanging out with other writers and having them edit my stuff and give me feedback on this article and picking me up when I'm down. I miss the shared community and feeling like I'm working on something with people. And I, again, I was telling you guys, you know, before we started recording, I meet with these six creators every week. I have this thing called Jack's Creator Club and I just hang out with a, a group of six creators. We shoot the shit. What's working? What's not? How's your Instagram stuff doing? How's the Patreon mm -hmm. push doing? Et cetera. One of the common themes that comes up all the time is a feeling of being alone, of, of feeling lost, of not knowing how to even know what you want mm -hmm. as a creator, what the framework for prioritization should be or is. Um, I think that's actually going to be one of the bigger problems as the creative class evolves mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. And as, as it fragments from corporate America into individual creators, um, one of the big problems that's going to have to be solved is how do you kind of get encouragement and education and support from a community? Because that doesn't really exist right now. I think we just need more vocabulary and more curriculum, yeah. right? If you think about there are doctors, and then if you go even deeper, there's an orthopedic surgeon. You know exactly how to become an orthopedic surgeon. And then there are communities of orthopedic surgeons. Mm -hmm. With creators, again, we just have that word creator and it's so broad. I love and, that. And it's, I will say, Jack, right on. this is the problem we want to solve because we felt alone, right? And when we jumped from our jobs to becoming independent creators, some of the hardest years of our lives. Uh, and the level of emotional turmoil, I would say, that we went through where you're questioning your worth and your val you're looking for validation and trying to be like, do I make anything meaningful? Am I, am I meaningful, right? If I'm not making anything that, that's of value or of commercial value to anyone, it's a very confusing thing to go through. And I think it's one of the most aspirational jobs with the least amount of training and the least amount of community around it right now. And I think that's, that's the problem we're passionate about solving, especially through education and community. And I think that's like, there has to be a world where we create a creator MBA or something, right? And I think the amazing thing is 
we're creators. We know how to make videos and make curriculum and communicate messages and articulate ideas to large groups of people. That's what we do. So we're in a great position because we have the passion to do it, to, to, to try and do that. I, I love that. I, I think, and, and, and my thinking has changed around this too, because I think, I think initially I thought it was a knowledge problem and yeah. it's not a knowledge problem. Mm. Knowledge is a portion of it, but it's an emotional problem. It's right. a connection problem. It's a feeling of togetherness yes. and belonging mm-hmm. with people who are struggling the same way you're struggling mm-hmm. to do this thing that is unprecedented and weird. Yeah. Um, and, and that is a, I think that's the bigger part of the problem. The like, I want to level up my skills and know mm-hmm. what, you know, what a good plugin is for premiere. Yeah. That's it. That's, sure. that's mm-hmm. like, right. you know, you can kind of, that's easier to solve. That's a fun yeah. problem it's to a solve because yeah. yeah. you know, you can solve it. A hundred percent. The, the hard, the, the mm-hmm. guts of the problem is that, is that sense of camaraderie. Yeah. Yeah. Who am I in this world? Right. Yeah. yeah. What is this? What am I doing? And it's, I think it's a huge opportunity. Um, and I think there is a, Colin said something really impactful um, last week to me where he said, being a creator is not a career. Being a creator can be a career. Oh. And I thought about that, how so many people right now are making content, getting millions of views and being like, well, why isn't this working? What's happening? And then that's a quick path to, to burnout and frustration. And you don't know what the roadmap is. And although every creator is different, there are some guidelines that you can follow to at least try and make it into a career. And I think that's what we've been accumulating uh, in our experience of looking back and saying, okay, we had some of the hardest years of our lives where we we're making no money. And now we have a team of 10. What, what happened? Right. And we've basically gone back and the way that we analyze the creator world, we've analyzed ourselves too. And then as we talk to more and more creators, there's a lot of commonalities. And I think for us, like synthesizing that into curriculum is a massive part of our passion. Yeah. I, I think that's such an important service for yeah. the world right now. Cause there are literally hundreds of millions of people that could benefit from right. that. Um, and it is, it is lonely and there isn't, there aren't answers, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's not definitive answers. Um, and I think, yeah, one of the, one of the things that's confusing about it too, is there's so many tools you know, there's tools, there's project management tools, there's QuickBooks, there's Asana, there's all these mm-hmm. pieces of software that exist. And those things are different than the skills required to mm-hmm. build a business and build a real career, you know, as, as a creator. Um, you know, learning how to use project management software is a different set of skills from understanding how much money is acceptable for me to spend this year on my videos, right? That's Mm -hmm. like a deep, hard, (laughs) gnarly problem to answer as Mm -hmm. a creative person. And it requires a very first principles kind of mindset and Mm -hmm. thinking, and also a knowledge of oneself, like to answer that question, like how much should I spend my videos? Mm -hmm. It'd be like, well, like what's your risk tolerance? (laughs) (laughs) But I think there is a simple, because a lot of people ask me that question. And for me, when I got to a point where I could solve that was just, and I didn't, you know, I was a pretty bad student. Uh, I wasn't that into school, but I I like solving these problems. And I had to think about like, well, how much can we spend? Can we get an office? Can we hire someone? I, I have to figure this out. And for me, it was just looking at ins and outs. Okay. 100%. Right? It was just, yes. on average, how much comes in, 
And how much do I, do I need to come out for us to live? And what's the Delta? And then you just look at ins and outs. And actually that's the simplest way to look at it. And I think that's when we, we made, uh, you know, a couple of videos about membership and why membership makes so much sense is because it's, you can start to calculate an in a lot easier than sporadic brand partnerships or AdSense or anything else. And I think at a base level, the first thing for creators to learn is just calculate your ins and outs. It'll save you so much time if you just do that. And you could do it on a sheet of paper. You could do it in an Excel document. You just have to look at what's coming in and what's going out. And then you'll solve what's happening in your business. Yeah. Like monthly, <laughs> monthly recurring revenue is the key to being a career creator. And it can yeah. come in a variety of ways. Yeah. It can come because of a membership. For us, it came in the form of a long-term An brand annual sponsorship. brand sponsorship. Yeah. That was our first check that was like, oh, we have recurring With revenue. Storyblocks. Oh, I think we're- That was uh, Samsung. Oh, Storyblocks. Samsung. Okay. So you're right. No, actually you're right. Storyblocks was the first annual. Yeah. Wow. You know our story better than us. Yeah. Jack. Storyblocks <laughs> yeah, came yeah. in, but then Samsung pushed it over the edge to the point where we realized we didn't have to get jobs that year. Yeah. That's an amazing moment. By the uh, way, trying to get jobs, Colin and I were both so terrible at it because we had never put together resumes. <laughs> Very confusing. And I was like, do I make a video? Do I, what do I do here? How do I communicate yeah. myself? And I never thought I was more unhirable than yeah. January of 2020. Yes, I tried multiple <laughs> times and I was like, I have no idea how to communicate what I can do for you, but I think I can do a lot if you hired me. And we both fell flat trying to get jobs. Oh, <laughs> That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I, I have also, I mean, strangely never had a job for right. Patreon. Um, but wait, I wanted to jump backwards sure. and offer one, one other kind of input into that process of ins and outs, mm. because one thing that has helped me just as like, think about that problem as a creator. Um, and I've talked to so many creators about it now. I like to think about ins and outs, but then there's a, there's a, Second component, which is cash balance for mm -hmm. me as a creator. Sure. Um, and the way I think about cash balance is like, I want to have enough of a cushion so that if there's a really crappy month right. mm -hmm. or three crappy months, mm. we don't have to worry about cash flow issues. Right. So like, you know, pockets and pomplemousse have both tried to keep a cushion. We think of it as like an automobile suspension. It's like when the road is rocky, like the car can kind of wave up and down. And if you yeah. run negative a couple months in a row at negative five grand or negative 10 grand, doesn't matter because you have enough of a cushion mm. so that you're not like struggling to meet right. bills in a particular month. So the, the second component of it for us has been like operate with enough of a cash cushion such that you can have a couple strings of gnarly months and not feel super stressed and like you hate your life. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the, the third thing I'll say is pockets got to a point where like sometimes people say like, when should I hire somebody? When is it okay to like invest in my videos? The way I think of it is like, if it can save you a lot of time or help you grow your, your business, then it's, I think it generally makes sense to hire somebody as long as the cash cushion is there. And as long as the ins and outs are there. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I, I throw that in too is because Doing this stuff by yourself is like, you, I, I don't know how long you can actually do it by yourself before you, before it's just not sustainable. It is hard to keep cranking out stuff every month. If you're a one person operation Green. and having a team there to support you, I would rather have a team and not make money than not have a team and be cranking profits. Mm -hmm. Like I, it's so important to, I think, get to a point where 
the creativity is fun and rewarding and you feel excited to wake up in the morning. Mm -hmm. That's so much more important than making an extra 10% that month. Yeah. Yeah. I think both of us were excited to get jobs because of that. Yeah. Because if we had just gone on so long with just the two of us that the prospect of being around other people on a daily basis (laughs) and feeling that energy was so exciting. Yeah, it was so exciting. Yeah. But luckily we were able to recreate that. Honestly, there was no other option. We were either Mm going to create an organization like this where we had people around us or we weren't going to do it anymore. Yeah. 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 Okay. I have two, two final questions for you. Um, First question is which one is your higher paying job right now being Jack Conti, the creator or being Jack Conti, the CEO? So from a salary, if like, if you don't think about the value of my equity, yeah. um, if you just look at like my salary, um, the bands make way more money than I make as CEO. That's so interesting. Way more money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Each band makes, you know, $500,000, wow. Um, Now that's top line. Sure. And we spend all of it making stuff. Um, So it's not profit. Mm -hmm. Like it's, but it's top line. And then that's like so much more than I make as, as CEO. That's amazing. What, what's the math of that for the bands? Like how many patrons does it take to make half a million dollars for those bands? So a third of our income is membership. A third is streaming revenue from Spotify and Mm -hmm. others. And then a third is ads on YouTube. Got it. And when you combine all those things together, it's like a pretty good recurring monthly chunk. Um, and yeah, it's about a third, a third, a third. And, and what, uh, now I'm curious about the band's Patreons. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> when you go to the membership, like what's the level of, um, access you give and the tiers and, and how many patrons and like, what's, what's that composition to it's basically content and community content. And, community. and we think okay. of each tier as like a product and we yeah. want to like iterate on that product right. until our, our mm-hmm. people using that product are super excited about it. So like we have a tier called the producers pack and we've been trying to iterate on that producers pack for a long time. So, you know, it's oh, stems, cool. mm-hmm. uh, samples, uh, you know, master classes. We've like tried a whole bunch of things. Um, then there's like the community tier, which mm. is like discord DJ nights, hangouts with the band and with cool. other community members. And then there's, uh, the, the, the rotating, um, the, the, the vinyl club, we call it vinyl club, mm. which used to be our rotating merch tier, but we, we changed it to vinyl club because we learned that vinyl was really what people wanted more so than a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a new, you get one of our new records every three months. Um, cause we make a lot of records. So, um, so yeah, that, that's how we've structured the, the pockets it. membership. Cool. That's really cool. I love hearing that because I love how niche the internet gets. Like it's just the world of people like us, quote unquote, right? Like you can find people like you. And I think that's the coolest thing about the internet, right? It's just like when we started the lacrosse network, everyone was like, that's a terrible idea, right? So it was one of the worst ideas. You're going to start a network dedicated to the sport that (laughs) very few people care about. And it was like, well, actually we found hundreds of thousands of people who care about it. So, and, and I mean, that was incredible. And I think that's happening now you know, probably more and more in smaller and smaller communities, which is really cool. My favorite thing about the internet, it's been my favorite thing for many years. I think it's still my favorite thing is that suppose you're really bizarre. Suppose you're a total <laughs> weirdo <laughs> and your taste is really out there. Yeah. And in your town, it's one in a thousand people 
who like your thing, <laughs> like one in a thousand, like nobody likes your thing. Um, you feel alone. You feel like nobody gets you. You feel like you're not successful. You're not impactful on the internet. There are 2 million people who like your thing. If your ratio of one in a thousand holds up, that is, that's beautiful. Like, yeah. you know, to, to live in a world previously where it was like, you got BBC one, you got BBC two, you got BBC three. If you don't fit into one of those three channels, like you're, right. you don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and to move from that to a world where one in a thousand people can like your thing and millions of people can then view and follow and support and be part of your membership or whatever it is. Um, that is a new era for humans. I mean, I think it's what has ultimately led to this explosion over the last six months, 12 months and people waking up to this thing is like the accessibility of creation tools. Plus this era where like you can find your tribe online, you can find your people. Um, it's just a, I think it's a really beautiful time to be a creative person. So this is my, um, the question I really wanted to ask you is, is basically like as a creative, it's kind of hard to define success and, and fulfillment, um, over long periods of time. And I think I've had to go through multiple iterations of that first, you know, trying to solve if that was financial, was it like, Oh, I'm actually striving for this. I want, I want this financial goal. I want this, you know, monetary, um, you know, metric for myself, but then soon realizing that that actually is not it. Cause it's basically the same thing. Once you hit that, you're just, you know, doing the same thing every day. And I'm curious with you, I mean, you're, you're now building essentially a unicorn company. Um, how has that changed for you and what does fulfillment look like for you today? As a, as a creator, or as a company builder, or as both Jack just Conti, as, as the, just the, the multifaceted oh, wow. person okay, that is Jack Conti. <laughs> like yeah. what, what yeah. is fulfillment for Jack Conti now? Um, it's, it's actually very similar to my, to, I guess my, my work as a creator and, and, and work with Patreon. I think there's similar underlying goals and it's just what like motivates me. Um, you know, uh, I know it's cliche to talk about the short time that we have on this planet, but Oh my God, is it a short time? Like you get a blip of 70 years and then, trillions of years of non-existence after that. And, um, you know, i think about that at 3am sometimes. Sure. As like, we all do. Yeah. Um, it's the prime time for that. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's when your brain's like, Hey Jack, you need to yeah. solve this problem right now. Um, but, um, you know, in, in my, in my short time here with my fellow humans, you know, I want to, I want to have a positive impact on people. I want to leave the the beach a little, a little better than it was before I got here, I guess. Um, and if that means writing songs and helping people think about their relationships with an interesting lyric about what it's like to, you know, to, to break up, or if it's products that help people build their businesses and scale their creativity and become full-time creators and quit their jobs, Um, or if it's building a team like Pomplamoose is doing and, and making sure that, you know, we're, we're building the team in a, in a good way where people get to do work and feel valued and feel excited and, um, feel like they're a part of something, I guess, whatever it is, the thing that motivates me is just having a good impact on, on others. Um, 
And I like doing that through art or through technology or, or I guess whatever it is. What have you found it is for, for you guys? Um, for me as a kid, like I thought it was really incredible when I would be laying in bed and I would have an idea and the next day I would make that idea real in some form, whether it was a song or a video or a drawing. Uh, and then I would show it to someone and they would laugh or smile or cry or there would be some impact. And uh, I just, since early, since that experience, since having that experience, whenever it was, when I was a kid, I've just thought in my life, like, I just want to do that for the rest of my life. I just want to come up with an idea and then bring it to life and have people interact with it and see their reaction and do it again. And I think what I've recognized over time is that doing that with a group of people in a space that I enjoy, as long as I'm doing that, I've, I've, I've done it. And that's why I think now I look at what I'm doing and I'm like, I've done it. This is the thing that I always wanted. And I just want to keep doing it in a more exciting way. <laughs> that's it. And I think that's a really, I've, I've boiled it down to that. And I've recognized that's helped me recognize, like I am currently doing that thing. Um, and it will take multiple shapes. It already has over the past 10 years. It actually has over the past 20 years. Um, and I'm excited to see what shapes it, it takes. And I think the, the growth of the business is like a, um, it's another one of those ideas. The, this business was an idea and it, we brought it to life and it's crazy to me. Like Colin and I look at each other regularly and we're like, isn't this nuts? Like, yeah. what, we're very what's nostalgic. Yeah. Even in the moments of failure, we're yeah. already nostalgic. We're like, can you believe what's happening? Yeah. Like, can you believe this is a thing that's happening? Like we had this idea over a pasta dinner in Santa Monica where we were like, maybe we should leave this company and make our own. And then we did it and it was really hard and here it is and it's crazy and it's going to take multiple shapes. And I think that's like the most fulfilling thing in the world. It really is. I think to, 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 to feel a, a piece of it that I just really enjoy is seeing something or, or, or dreaming of something that doesn't exist yet mm -hmm. and making it exist. Yeah. It's like really fun. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. That's a crazy <laughs> thing to do. And what, but what's, what's, I, I, it's, what's interesting about it is it's also really hard and yeah, really yeah, painful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's what makes it rewarding is sure. like Definitely. the, the pushing the boulder yeah. up a hill and feeling mm -hmm. like you, you know, you're, you're doing it. Um, it also think, doesn't come out exactly like how you thought it would, yeah. which yes. is part of the fun. Yes, totally. I think having people on the other side is what makes it really fun because you get to see their reaction and, you know, that's, that's so fun. Like, that's the best. Yeah. Uh, and then you get to take that in and reiterate from that. And as painful as that is sometimes, it's also rewarding. And we've all been on the other side of that too. I've been at a concert and heard a song that's made me feel a way that I can't describe to anyone. Right. And like, that's so amazing. And I sure we've made pieces of content that have made someone feel something like that too, that they can't describe. And that's, that's the best. That's, that's all it is. Yeah. There's, there's something that I, I think I'm starting to kind of legitimately find joy in that I used to find anxiety in if that makes sense but i've changed the way i think of it and it's now like joyful i call it uh wandering mm. <laughs> uh it used to be very anxiety inducing to to wander and to uh to not know exactly 
this next video that I'm going to make and who's it going to reach and is it even the right video at all? And then you put it out and it doesn't work and then you need to figure out what to do next. And then you have this thought, or at least I did, which is like, maybe I'm even, maybe this is the wrong channel. Maybe I'm like, maybe I got the whole thing wrong. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should kill this channel and start a new one. That's a, like, it's happened many times over here. Yeah. Like yeah. the want, like that is wandering. Yeah. It was just like, Oh God, it's <laughs> yeah. like driving and not yeah. knowing where you're going. Um, I now, I, it's still hard. I'm not saying it's not painful and anxiety inducing, but I also am able to kind of step back a little bit and be like, wow, how lucky that I get to like drive this car through the desert at 3am with no headlights. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like, that's a special experience. And I feel very lucky that I get to wander a little bit and, and try that. And, um, yeah, again, doesn't mean it's not hard AF, but mm -hmm. it's, I think, yeah. I think I've, I've figured out how to find joy in it. Okay. Now this is actually my last question. Okay, great. I always do this. Um, you said there's a quarter million creators making money on Patreon right yeah. now. In 10 years, how many creators do you think they're going to be making money on Patreon? We haven't done that <laughs> forecast. We haven't done that analysis. What, what would I say? I mean, I, would, I think there are going to be hundreds of millions of creators. Well, there are hundreds of millions of creators now. Um, how many of them will be on Patreon? I believe that membership in general is a critical portion of the, the future of creativity, uh, not just on the web, but in general. I think the idea of a community around a creator and subscription payments um, direct from fan to creator is like a, a really meaningful, awesome business model in a day and age of the internet where there's no more scarcity there's infinite replicability of files. So unit sales as a business line has gone away. You can't sell a CD anymore. Um, and, and I think membership is a, is a really beautiful, special thing between a creator and fans. Um, and so I think a very big portion of those 100 million creators are going to adopt membership as like a, as a, mm -hmm as a way to build a creative business on the web. Um, how many in 10 years? Well, I don't know, but I think a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's such an honor for me to, to talk with you and be on this show. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying not to fanboy, but thank you for, <laughs> for having me and for including me in this is fun. Well, I mean, it's surreal for us to, have you here again? I remember watching that first video of yours and being like, "Whoa, this guy! Right, is, this guy yeah. can edit and tell stories. Guy, yeah. <laughs> he also has a company. What's going yeah, on?" Here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So awesome. appreciate it, and I think it's good for us to have these transparent conversations between creators about something that affects creators. And um, yeah, it was fun. Awesome. Thanks, awesome. guys.